Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Second Peter 1, I'm going to begin with verse number 8. I was telling myself today as I was finishing this up, matter of fact, this is, this is like finished up just in the last few moments, like the digital image here is still fresh, okay? Uh, but as I was finishing this up today, I was telling myself, you need to pick up the pace a little bit here, McGee. You need to pick up the pace a little bit. And so I'm trying to give myself that talk. <clears throat> Whether I convince myself, I know not, but time will tell. Second Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 8 is where we uh, are going to continue here. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure for if you do these things ye shall never fall for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ if you'll note verse 8 for if these things it states a little later we see in verse 9 but he that lacketh these things verse number 10 for if you do these things I want to talk to you tonight about the importance of these things the importance of these things father I come to you tonight I'm grateful grateful Lord that you are mindful of us and I hope God that we can be just as mindful Lord or in some measure reciprocate that God and be mindful of you Lord in this place God let these words God that are the words of life it's a living word let it Lord crawl off the page tonight into our lives into our minds I pray oh God that you're able to help us Jesus help me oh Lord to God explain Lord and convey God, the word of the Lord Jesus in a manner, God, that I do no harm, God, to its intent and no harm, God, to its purpose. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, I pray, verify it tonight. Amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Just real quickly before I dive into this, as a reminder, this coming Sunday is an AM only service. Amen. What we have been doing this year in conjunction with holiday weekends, an AM only service this coming Sunday. Uh, so that's Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. The importance, the importance of these things. We concentrated on last week. Had a good time last week. Really enjoyed last week. Amen. But we concentrated on last week basically two parts to this experience that we have in God. Two, two parts that we have this experience. And that is God's part and our part. There's a part that he works by virtue of his divine power and his divine nature and uh, us being recipients of that. And then there's our part of the working of those things that we have received out into our everyday lives. Both parts are essential. Both parts are necessary. And so Peter goes on here in 2 Peter to uh, further denote that 
there is a comparison and a contrast between those who have the aforementioned qualities, those things that we mentioned of last week, adding to our, our faith, virtue, and, and so on and so forth as the list goes on, that, that we are those who have the aforementioned qualities and those that abound in them. If you have the Spirit of the Lord, everybody has them, but if you abound in them or if you lack them, Peter makes some, some comparisons and contrasts uh, between the two, of those that abound in them and those that, as the Scripture calls it, those that lack those particular qualities. What we come to find out, though, through the reading of the Scripture is that the abounding or the lacking is up to the individual believer. All right? It, Remember, he's given us all things that pertain. You, if you, you're you're going to bleed that out your pores before you're all over. We've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness, right? So when we receive the spirit of the Lord, the power of the Lord, that's been instilled in us. But the abounding in that or the lacking thereof, that is up to the individual believer. All right. And so the scripture says in verse number uh, eight, for if these things... These things, whenever Peter's referring to these things, he's referring to that list, almost like that chain, that rung of a ladder uh, of stuff of verses 5 through 7, the adding to the faith, virtue, virtue, you know, there's the godliness and the knowledge and the temperance, all that stuff that it speaks of. It's speaking about those things. It's referring to that list of qualities or that, that list of virtue. And it says, for if these things be in you. Now, in our English Bibles, in the English language, if you say, if whatever. Uh, if you don't clean your room, I'm going to whip your rear end. That's known as a conditional statement or conditional clause. Uh, the result is predicated upon the condition. If you don't, then this is what's going to happen. There's a cause and effect that's there. And in our English Bibles, that's the way that this phrase is conveyed that for if these things be in you, then such and such. But in the Greek language, the if, the conditional word, is not there in the, in the, in the uh, Greek language. So this isn't a conditional clause as we may read it in our English Bibles. What Paul Peter is saying right here is not if these things, not if these things, I'm trying to find the verse again, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that, that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. But Peter is saying that these things be in you. Because a minute he's speaking to those, if we look back to verse number one, he's speaking to those that obtained the like precious promise. He's saying these things are in you, but the abounding is up to you. So it's not if they be in you. It's not, you know, you receive the spirit of the Holy Ghost and maybe those things are there, maybe they're not. No, no, no. They are there. Because when you receive the spirit of the Lord, you have received in essence the nature of who he is. And so they are there. Uh, so Peter is really saying, these things are there. These things are there. And because they are there, then you have the ability, amen, to allow them to abound, or as we'll see a little later, or to lack in your life. They're there because you have the like precious faith, amen, that each of us have. You, you have received that, as if you look back at other weeks, you have received that according to his divine Power, and that has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And that's enabled us to be partakers of his divine nature. I know you're saying, Brother McGee, you're doing a lot of rehash. Because the amazing thing about God's word, it connects to one another. 
That's great. That, that's, here's a, just another reason why you just can't take one little verse and cherry pick. Because when you pull at the seam, it pulls the whole seam. Or pull the thread, it pulls the whole seam, so to speak. And so he's saying all these things are in you, but again, the abounding or the lacking is up to the individual person. And so it serves to reason, if we think back to last week, it serves to reason that these things ought, and I use that word purposefully, that these things ought to abound in our lives because Peter admonished them and addressed them that they would add to their faith, so on and so forth. And if you'll remember from last week, this is just a little review. To add meant to supply in copious measure. It meant to provide beyond the need. It meant to supply more than generously. So, in other words, he's saying you're going to add to your faith virtue. You're going to do that in a copious, great, large amount beyond what's even necessary, very generously. And so it would seem to think if we're adding like that, then our life will be abounding with those things. That if we follow the admonition and the instruction of Peter, then it would seem as though that our life should be abounding, which means ever increasing in excess or ever increasing in abundance. Our lives should be just overflowing uh, with, with faith and virtue and patience and temperance and brotherly kindness and charity because that's the way that Peter said we should add. Amen. Someone say amen. amen. That's the way we should add. And so it comes to this, that if I've done my part, referring back to last week, if I've done my part, then these things should abound because God did his part. He put the seed of all those in my spirit when I received his spirit. Right? By his spirit, by his divine power. Now, remember, I alluded to, was it last week, maybe two weeks ago. I can't keep them all straight. But you remember when I was talking to you about how almost these things is kind of like the seed of a tree. You know, you, you, the seed within the seed are all the characteristics of the tree, the bark, the leaves, the, the, the branches, all of it's within the seed. But it takes the development and the surroundings of that thing to grow, to materialize what all is within the seed. You remember that little illustration? Well, remember, all these characteristics, I'll choose an oak tree for our purposes. All these characteristics of the oak tree are within the acorn, so to speak. And so it's through growth, again, that these things start to materialize. They're seen and they're known, right? And so the Bible tells us something that we oftentimes have looked at and used and leaned upon in Matthew 7.20. It says, by their fruits, right? Sister Rhonda's quoting it right there. Woo! The power is on her. She's back. By their fruits, ye shall know them. By their fruits, ye shall know them. Someone said, there ought to be enough fruit in your life to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt who you belong to. Someone say Amen. But here is the thing that we, we, we wrestle with. We're talking about these things abounding in excess, ever increasing in excess. Is it possible to have a seed in the soil and for it not to bring to surface all the traits of its nature? Sure. Peter says when these things abound, he says when they abound, so you don't have to worry about being barren, you don't have to worry about being unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to worry about any of those things. You, you don't have to worry about being barren or unfruitful in that experience, that, that knowledge that comes by experience, all right? But the inverse then of that is just true as well. 
that when they don't abound, when those qualities are not ever increasing in abundance, then there is going to be expected barrenness and unfruitfulness in your life. To be barren in the scripture here meant to be idle or worthless or not accomplishing anything. And that's pretty frank, isn't it? He says, he says, whenever these things are abounding, you don't have to worry about being in a position that nothing's being accomplished in your life. He said, but when these things are abounding, you will accomplish something. Amen. Uh, therefore, to not abound is to not accomplish anything. And so I believe the desire of the Lord, even through his word, is for us to abide or uh, 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 abound or grow in our Christian relationship, in our Christian experience. It's never the purpose of God to save us and for us to stay at the level that we were saved at. It's never his purpose. All throughout the word, it's talking about growing up into the stature of who he is. It's talking about growing there by the word of God. There is this process of growth that should be taking place. It's not that we become at a stalemate the moment after our new birth experience. But there should be some type of growth. We should abound. There should be this ever-increasing, if you will, inside our lives. And so you can have roots. We'll go a little further. You can have roots that emerge from that seed you placed in the soil, and it can still be unfruitful. The Bible says in Mark chapter 4 and verse number 19, this is the parable of the sower, but this is a scripture that, that kind of gives some indication that there was some unfruitfulness in the seed, and it's good seed. But the Bible says, and the cares, Mark 4, 19, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things, that's a broad brush, the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, which was the seed, according to the, 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 the parable of the sower, Choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Jesus says here, he says the cares, or if you will, the worries of the world can come in. A seed that even has root can be unfruitful because of the cares and the worries of the world. A seed can have root and be unfruitful because of the deceitfulness of riches in the world. It can have root and be unfruitful because of the lust, or if you will, the desires for other things. They can come in, they can choke out the seed and result then in unfruitfulness. Because sometimes, I'm raising my hand right now, sometimes rather than adding to our faith virtue and temperance and, God, and godliness and, and, and charity, rather than adding those things, we have our faith and we add to our faith the cares of the world. And we add to our faith the longing, the deceitfulness of riches, the gaining of more. And we add to our faith lusts and desires of other things. And again, that's a big box. There's all kinds of things you could pull out of that. And whenever we do that, guess what? We're not abounding. We're not abounding in those are these things, as the scripture says, we're abounding in other things. And when we don't abound in these things, they will not be profitable to us. They will render us, if we don't abound in them, if it's the other things of the world, it will leave us barren and unfruitful. Amen. In, in, in the words of the Greek, it will just prove for us not accomplishing anything. 
concerning the things that be of God or in our walk, in our experience with the Lord. Again, the goal of us as believers is not to be at the same level when you first came to know the Lord and been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. As a matter of fact, you need to stop every once in a while. The Bible says examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. You need to stop every once in a while and ask yourself, how far have I developed since I first came from when I first came to the Lord. Matter of fact, that's a great thing to do if you've been in with the Lord for 15 years, but here's a better one. How much have I developed since last year? How much have I developed since last month? You see, we can still break this down to nanoseconds, right? <laughs> so is there any development? That's what I'm saying. Is there any development going on? Because we need to grow from that place to a more serious place of relationship with God. We need to know. It's important. We need to know how much we've grown in our relationship with God, you know, from year to year. Are we ever increasing? Because there's the abounding. Are you ever increasing? Peter is emphasizing, he's emphasizing the perks whenever individual cultivates these things. And then he goes after listing some of the perks, he lists some of the drawbacks of not cultivating those things. He says, he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off. Now, here's the important thing. If a person is lacking, they are not lacking because they are not there. Because remember, the spirit that you receive has it all contained. All right. So the lack is not a result of them not being available to the person, but rather because and this is the this is the direct um, definition of lack in the Greek. It's that they've not kept them near at hand to them. It was there when you was filled with the spirit, but somewhere along the way, it's been pushed a little over. It's not near at hand. That's what lack meant, not near at hand. So what happens in this case, in our spiritual journey and walk, this creates a dilemma. This creates a dilemma, and it possibly can create a very vicious cycle in the life of a quote-unquote Christian because this lack, this not keeping these things, temperance, faith, that list, not keeping these things near, which is what the word lack indicates, not keeping these things near, Whenever we do that, it results, according to the Scripture, to blindness, and you can't see it far off. It, it results in spiritual blindness and spiritual myopia. Myopia is whenever, uh, whenever you can't see things far off, you're nearsighted or short-sighted. When you're nearsighted or short-sighted, it means you can see things that are close to you, but you can't see things that are far from you. And so whenever we lack or we keep those things at bay and they're not near to us, it creates spiritual blindness and spiritual myopia in us. Again, myopia is being nearsighted or short-sighted. You can only see things that are close to you. So it creates, in a spiritual sense, we can only see the things that are close to us, but we have difficulty seeing the things that are far off from us. And what happens whenever we do that? When you cannot see afar off in the realm of spiritual things, you will live your life just for the moment. Mm -hmm. whenever, you, whenever you have spiritual myopia, 
You're living just for the moment, just for the here and now. When you have spiritual myopia, you are, you are the Esau of the Old Testament that is willing to just follow the path of gratification in the moment and sell your birthright because you can't see in the distance any advantage that it's going to give you. And so you're just living in the here and now. You're living in the moment. And it's, it's these very types of people that uh, the Apostle Peter is concentrating on in the next chapter. Remember our little chapter 2 language. Did anybody read chapter 2? Nobody. Someone did. All right. That does me well. So it's these very kind of people that Peter is going to concentrate on in chapter 2. Because remember, what are we dealing with in the, in the thrust of Second Peter here? It's that they're saying there is no... There is no rapture. There is no second coming of Christ. There's no catching away of the church. What is that? Spiritual myopia. They cannot see afar off. They cannot see that there is definitely a day that the trump of God shall sound. Huh? They, they are not, they're looking at the right now. And, oh God, I'm feeling the Holy Ghost, a little helper come along here. Amen. They have no regard for the future. Hmm. They have no regard for the future. And so what do they do? They live their lives with no consciousness of tomorrow. Even decisions made today, it don't matter. Because they live with no consciousness of looking into how what they do today is going to affect tomorrow. He says when we don't keep these things near. We set ourselves up for spiritual blindness. We set ourselves up for spiritual myopia because the thing is, you'll get to a place that you'll be duped into believing that the future rapture, the future coming of the Lord, that's far-fetched. That's something, as he addresses in Second Peter, that's something that they've been saying for years. And the New Testament even, things have remained just the same from the beginning of time was their words. It's went unchanged. What is it? That is spiritual myopia. Amen. They could not see afar off. So there's no reason to abound. There's no reason to ever increase in those divine nature qualities because what's the use? Because you're living life like this. Living life just like this. But there's something beyond that. We got, we got to somehow clear all that. That's what the divine nature helps us see. There's something beyond today. Woo! From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, his name shall be praised. There's something beyond today. Now, hallelujah. Now, here is the possible vicious cycle that not keeping these things at hand. Remember, lack is that they're not near at hand. Here's the vicious cycle then that happens or can possibly happen for the lives of these people. Because when they don't keep them at hand, they're not abounding in these things. The five through seven list, when they're not abounding in those things. So spiritual blindness comes, spiritual myopia. They cannot see afar off. But where have they placed these things? Not near at hand. You see the cycle? They're not near at hand. Now the very things that they need, they can't even see. They placed them at distance, being at distance, brought a condition of not being able to see things afar off. And now the very things that they placed afar off, they can't even seemingly access because they can't see them. Cycle. Cycle. But that's what they need. But, but, but that's what they need to abound in. 
So now instead of near, they are far. It almost seems elusive to them. Brother McGee, are you saying it's impossible? No, nothing's impossible with God. But I guarantee you one thing, they've made life a whole lot more difficult for themselves to be successful in a Christian walk. See, there is... Scripture speaks of blindness. We, we read of blindness at different times. Uh, whenever we read in the book of 2 Corinthians, we read of blindness. The Bible talks about how the God of this world have blinded them that would believe. But see, there's a blindness that comes, if you will, from the enemy, from the adversary. But there is another blindness that we are responsible for, and that's whenever we choose not to grow. Blindness. It's a blindness that comes from the adversary, but there's a blindness that we, we uh, superimpose upon ourselves by pushing away from some things, or at least uh, when we keep certain aspects of him not near at hand, close, abounding, increasing ever in abundance. And so when we live lacking the things of God, amen, because that's in essence what it is. When we live lacking the things of God, he says also in verse number, in verse number nine, that We've forgotten. Note the scripture. For if these things be in you, verse 9, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his owed sins. When we live lacking the things of God, and that's because of our decision, we've forgotten that we've been purged from our sins. What's that mean? It means we're not living in a corresponding way with what we have become after our new birth experience. We're not living like a new man, but we're living like the old man we used to be. If we shut our eyes to the things of God, it won't be long till we'll be blind and unable to see even some very important things maybe in our long past that's afar of when he redeemed you. And he bought you. If, you. if you get to a place where you're not pulling those things in close, it'll cause you not to be able to see Calvary anymore. Because not being able to see far off is not just what's in front of you, but it's what happened behind you. You'll forget who you were when he found you. Hello, Bosiah. I feel the Holy Ghost. Can we just raise our hands right now? And so when, when, when this process begins to happen, we don't continue in our experience, in that divine power, that divine nature showing itself out in our life by the way that we live. We start to live then not like we've been cleansed, but rather like we've never been converted. And what we do in those moments then, because we've been given the divine nature, all things that pertain to what? Life and godliness. We do that. We, we break then really in essence the third commandment. We take his name in vain. You remember 
Ten Commandments series so long ago. It's been a long time. Take the name of the Lord in vain. That goes a lot of areas. But one of the areas, it goes, look at Exodus 20 and verse 7. Here it is. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. One of the myriad ways in which one can take the name of the Lord in vain is this. When we claim to be the people of God and then live our lives as though we are not. We always equate it to cussing and, and, you know, all this other stuff, forgery and all kinds of stuff. But this, I think, is probably one of the most, whether owned or unowned, one of the most ways that we take the name of the Lord in vain. And that's whenever we say we are the people of God, we have the spirit of God, the divine nature of God, but then we don't live it out. We take his name in vain. Because, see, it happened in the early in the early scriptures on Palm Sunday, almost 2000 or so years ago, a group of people took the name of Jesus Christ. They took the name of Jesus Christ. They called him the king. That's what they said. The king. They sang Hosanna. Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. They sang his praises. They adored him. They waved palm branches. Some surrendered their own garments, their identity, so he and his donkey could ride ride across. And then just five short days later, the very same people cried out, crucify him. They called him king. But then five days later, they put their supposed king, the one that was lord over them on a cross. He's taken his name in vain. And we take God's name in vain when we profess God's name, but we do not live answerably to that name. Huh? So we're that divine power and divine nature, and then we don't abound, increase ever in those list of five through seven of additional things of virtue and temperance. Remember, that's not an exhaustive list. That's just a sampling that Peter is relaying to us that we need to pick up and we need to practice. The Bible says in Titus 1 and verse number 16, he says, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. Hmm? In works, living it out. Living it out in our everyday lives. Amen. And so he states this. He gives us this uh, understanding. He says in verse 10, he says, instead of all this, wherefore, rather, instead of all this, brethren, he said, give diligence. There's our little thing we looked at a a week or so ago. He said, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. How many? We've said this in church life forever. My God, you need to make your calling and election sure. I've heard it ever since I've been a child. Make your calling and election sure. But the question that we must pose here tonight is this. How can you make your calling and your election sure? It's what I've already stated. What Peter's already been conveying. And I repeat yet again. You make your calling and your election sure by living out what is living inside you. By living out what's living inside. Instead of I couldn't come up with any better word today. But instead of playing around, we're diligent. Remember that word? It meant to make haste. Do not delay. You remember that? To, 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 to make haste. Do not delay. We don't have time to play around. Oh, the Lord's going to come tomorrow. The Lord's going to come next year. The Bible speaks of his term, as, his, his coming as being imminent. That means it's at hand. That means it could happen any moment. 
We don't know when that moment is, but it could happen any moment. Amen. And so we live our life in accordance with that. He says, you make your calling by these things. Wherefore, rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. The word sure. The word sure. Interesting word. The word sure often in this culture was a legal term uh, in a lot of Greek literature. And it denoted that which is valid, ratified, or confirmed. So you need to make your calling an election. You need to, you need to validate your calling an election. You need to ratify your calling and election. You need to confirm your calling and election. And here it is. We validate our calling and election by how we walk. We validate our calling and election by how we talk. The confirmation of our calling and election is by how we practice our profession. We ratify them by living out the qualities of verses 5 through 7 that were previously mentioned. This is very similar. This, I don't, this verse of Ephesians 4 one's almost becoming a little bit of a candy stick to me. And maybe it's just recently because I've done two events where I've talked to ministry and young ministers. And so this is what I always go to somewhere along the line. And very similar to Ephesians 4.1 where Paul told, he was telling the church in, in Ephesus in particular. He said, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. He said, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Which the word worthy there is basically this. If I already said this, I have before. I know in our Ephesians study had to. But the word worthy there means this. It meant bringing up the other end of the scales. Bringing up the other end of the scales. And that is this. You know the old time scales, right? You have, you have whatever. You know, something over here, you're going to find its weight. You're putting the, the weights over here to even it out. And when you balance it out, you know that whatever is in this side is equal to whatever in that side. Paul was saying in in Ephesians, he says, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you've been called. He said, you've all been called to be the church, primarily. Now, within the context of the church, there are other callings. But he said, primarily the church. He said, you've all been called to the church. He said, now you walk. You practice your life in such a way that it's weighty enough to even out the weight of your calling. See, the weight of your calling to be the church has tipped the scales. Now you got to live your life over here in practice and attitude and discipline to balance out the scale. Your calling's over here. Your practice is over here. Will your practice balance out what your calling is? It's the very same thing then that he's speaking of here, making our calling and our election sure, ratifying it, confirming it, validating it. How? By the way that we live our lives, the practice, the ever increasing, if you will, in the things and the qualities that were mentioned in verses 5 through 7. So the vocation of our calling, yes, is to be the church. And there's others in there. You know, if you're a pastor, evangelist, teacher, all those things are in there. you got to walk according to your calling. Amen. Now, I go down this road only because it's out there and it's prevalent today. And there are some that speak, when they speak of calling and election, they are speaking of calling and election in terms of you as an individual that's been chosen from the foundation of the world to already be saved by the hand of God. The election that a good portion probably of our modern day world supports and emphasizes is this. Election is this. That you were saved the moment you even came through your mother's womb because God already decided to save you. There's nothing that you can do to unsave you. That is the thought process of election 
for most in our world today. There's a whole, you could go through a whole discussion concerning that. But remember, whenever, whenever the Lord said in Ephesians, it said that he hath chosen us in him from the foundation of the world. When you read in Ephesians, the us in him, the us in him is his church. What he chose from the foundation of the world was the entity known as the church. Now, each individual has a prerogative, whether or not they'll be a part of or not a part of the church. But from the foundation of the world, he chose us in him. He chose the church. Now, Paul McGee comes in the world. I'm not neither a part of the church in my entrance into this world, but I'm given a choice because I have a will, and God's always, always respected the will of mankind. And he woos me. In this life, he has wooed me. And at that moment of wooing, I've had a choice to make, to become a part of the church that he chose from the foundation or to reject the church that he chose from the foundation. Whenever I was born, God didn't predestinate me for heaven. He's predestinated his church for heaven. I got a choice of whether or not I'm going to be a part of the church. But if I am a part of the church, I'm going to look like the church. I'm going to talk like the church. I'm going to discipline myself as the church. Because he don't compromise what his church is when he's chosen her all the way back before time. Ah, man, the Holy Ghost is strong in here tonight. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> my calling, my election, sure, because I'm living out what's been lived inside of me. And we may look at it before. There are things you can do to no longer be a part of the church. That's not the mind frame in many minds in today's world. You can do whatever you want to do. God loves you. He's gracious. He's merciful. It don't matter. You've been chosen. You're the chosen one. But God chose and defined the entity known as the church from the foundation of the world. And so we validate the label of being the church by living out the divine nature that we receive by virtue of the Holy Ghost. He says, if ye do these things, verse 10, if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Let me say this tonight, that a healthy spiritual body has less of a tendency to fall. Our Some of you have apostolic study Bibles. I read in there, our apostolic study Bible says this. If you are not growing in spirituality, you are falling. Because there is not static spirituality. Meaning there is not immobile spirit. Spirituality doesn't know stalemate. It's either progressing or digressing. Spirituality is not a tread water scenario. You are either progressing or or digressing and so if we are not advancing if we examine ourselves and we're not advancing then we are digressing it's not it's not static amen and somewhere the word says you you shall never 
fall, it's quite strong, to not ever, never fall. To not never, to not ever or never fall. That's strong. But listen, to not ever or never fall does not mean you'll never sin. Because we have enough other scripture that balances that out that lets us understand that cannot mean, that doesn't mean you never sin. As a matter of fact, the tense of the word used there, never fall, points to a stumbling that is final, a fall from which you cannot arise. Me and my wife was having a discussion the other night in bed. I don't know how we got around to it, but I kind of shared this little tidbit with her, and it stuck in my mind whenever it came about to this today. Whenever we speak of David, the great patriarch of old, and, and we, 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 we put him sometimes on a pedestal, and he should be revered and respected all the great things that he has done. But whenever we speak of David, David was spoken of as one who, look at 1 Kings 14, verse 8, and I'm about midway in this verse. David was spoken of as one who kept my commandments, he said. As my servant David, who kept my commandments, who followed me with all his heart, to do that only which was right in mine eyes. Woo! Hurrah, David! Yeah! That's great! But we need not forget then that he killed a man, right? Uh, that he committed adultery, and the list goes on of the infractions of David's life. Yet the Bible says, who kept my commandments? Who kept my commandments? Listen, this, this, is, this is Old Testament. This is Old Testament theology at its best. To keep commandments doesn't equal never sinning. Just watch me here. Doesn't equal never sinning. That's the case. None of us would be keepers or considered keepers of commandments. For all of sin to come short of the glory of the Lord. We fall even after we come to know him. Right? He said, but David, he kept my commandments. But he killed a man. He committed adultery. He kept my commandments. To keep commandments is this. They were considered keepers of commandments. When they fail, that they would be prompt in finding a place of repentance. David still considered a keeper of the commandments because he knew how to repent whenever he failed. To not be a keeper of the commandment is when you fall, you jump over repenting. It's when you make a wrong and a mistake, you just go and live your life as though God owes you 10 before you have to repent over anything. But a keeper of the commandment, it's not that you'll never fail. Of course you're going to fail. But do you know how to seek God and repent when it's all said and done? Do you know how to cry out to the Almighty and say, I was wrong. I transgressed your law. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit. God says, David, because of his attitude and repentance, I'll say he's a keeper of my commandments because he knows how to repent. Because ah. repentance is the way that we arise after we fall. It's not final. You can get back up through repentance. Amen. Through repentance. Now, here's the thing. The same fall we arose from can be final and fatal. If we never seek a place of repentance. We see in scripture there are certain men. The Bible says they sought no place of repentance. 
Was it Judas that that was spoken of? He sought no place, or, or maybe it was Elijah, or one of them, uh, Esau maybe even. They sought no place of repentance. Their fall, they could have rose from, but it was final and fatal because they didn't seek a place of repentance. So I'm saying amen. So, he that does these things shall never fall. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean you won't make a mistake. It just means there's not a mistake that you make that can't be counteracted and corrected by godly repentance. Godly sorrow that worketh repentance. If I may tonight, I am the persuasion that particularly the, 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 the fall, and I have Paul here, that should be Peter. Amen. Make a note, Darren. I need to correct that in my notes. That the fall that Peter had in mind, if you do these things, you shall never fall, is the apostasy that he's going to get to in chapter 2. Of people walking away from the faith, walking from truth, denying everything that they had learned that was honorable, truth, and pure. He says, if you keep the ever-increasing, abounding faith, temperance, brother, all that in your life, he says, you'll, you will not depart from truth. There's people today that's left God, but they've never left. They've never left the truth that was instilled in them whenever they've been in church. They won't go to another church that preaches false doctrine. Why? Because something happened. Now, there's others that do. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to bat an eye at that, but I'm just telling you there are some that, that don't. So Paul, and again, what Paul is purporting here when he says you shall never fall, he is not purporting the idea of once saved, always saved. Oh, if you keep these things, you don't have to worry about falling, bless God. No, 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 no. It's the doctor, that's, the, that's the doctrine of what's called the unconditional eternal security. I mean, it doesn't matter what the conditions are or what may have happened. You're always eternally secure. Hogwash. That's my theological word to use for it, hogwash. And I'm just going to plant these a little right here because we're already at 45. All right, because that could be a whole thing on its own, right? But let me ask you this. In the book of Revelation, chapter number 3, we're speaking to the angel of the churches or the minister, the spokesperson of the churches. Why is it that the Lord tells the church at Sardis, he said basically concerning some, he said, I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. Now, why would he say I will not blot his name out of the book of life if it wasn't possible to blot a name out of the book of life? What does that tell me? Then it's probably a possibility. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, if you consider uh, the story of the unfaithful servant, Matthew 24, for your reference, Matthew 24, verses 48 through 51, the unfaithful servant, the Bible talks that he got into this mode that he thought his Lord was delaying and coming and returning. And so what does he do? He steps outside of the household. He begins to... The Bible says he smote one individual. He began to eat and drink with the drunkards and take on their, he began to embrace sin because he thought his Lord was delaying his coming. And then the Lord returned at an hour that he did not expect. It's in the parable. And what does the Lord do? The Bible says that he cut that man off asunder. 
and delivered him over, appointed him alongside with the hypocrites where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Huh? Don't be telling me that it's once and always. Furthermore, Romans 11 and verse 22, just throw it up there. Behold, therefore, this is talking about uh, the tree and the branches that were grafted in and those that were a part of it from the beginning. It says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God on them which fell, severity, but toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt also be cut off. Do you understand that if the branch gets severed from the tree, it no longer has all the essence of what the tree is flowing through it? It will shrivel up. It will decompose because it has no life unless it's attached to the source. And when it gets cut up, it's no longer attached. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. Now the Spirit speaketh expressively that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith. Now that's, that's just a phrase right there. Shall depart from the faith. Amen. Not talking about people that never knew the faith, talking about people that knew it and departed from it. You can't depart from something unless you was already there to begin with. I'm going to depart from the church here in a little bit. That's because I've been here all day. But I wouldn't be able to tell you I departed from the church if I wasn't here at the church today. Depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Right? Okay, we got to move on. I'm closing. Just stand with me. I'll bring her. Sometimes it's like a plane coming into the runway, and other times it's like a helicopter. So not only, verse 11, that's where we got to end with. Not only will keeping these things help you walk, they will aid you. Look at it now. For so an inheritance shall be ministered to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord. Not only will it help you with your walk keeping these things, that's how important they are, but they will also aid you in your destination. In the Greek, this is, this is just a little, whatever, you know, we don't all deal in the Greek language. I don't either. Other people help me in books and such. But verse 11, for so an entrance, almost as relaying an entrance of many. Of entr- no, 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 no. In the Greek, there's a definitive article, the word the, meaning that, This will for so the entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's pointing to a particular entrance. Amen. The entrance, if you will, of the gate of heaven. And when we talk about entrance, entrance is the access that someone is granted by someone else. God, you have granted me an entrance into the everlasting kingdom, but it's. It's through and by virtue and aid and help of these things of verses 5 through 7 that I'm allowing to grow abundantly, excessively, copious measure. That just rolls off the tongue nice. Copious measure. So, in verses 5 through 7, you add. That's that copious measure. And when you do, these things are not only in you, but they abound. They're ever-increasing. Then we have another play. And then he grants an entrance abundantly. See how it goes? You're adding, you're abounding, and then the entrance for you is made abundant. I close with this. When the victor 
In these times, the Olympic Games, they go back way there in the New Testament. Olympic Games, Grecian Games. Winner, a victor of the Olympic Games would return home. The people of their said town would welcome that victor home and escort him into the city. Bishop, this is amazing to me. Through a specially prepared entrance for the victors. The, I'm not trying to be frank. But the losers didn't walk through that door. You hear me? Second place didn't. Second place is first last. The victors. So what we got over here? This is your door. We got an entrance specially prepared for you into the city. Peter says, when you keep these things and do these things, God's got a door for the victors. God's got a door for the victors. Those that did run, run well, and although there were hindrances because of fortitude and tenacity and, and gumption and inspiration of spirit, they said, I've come too far. I can see the finish line because I'm not spiritually blind. I don't have spiritual myopia. I'm not just seeing what's close. I'm seeing what's afar off. And I'm seeing an entrance over yonder. I'm seeing a... Oh, yes. There's some importance concerning these things. If we can raise our hands all across this place, close our eyes. I have felt a special touch of heaven in this place tonight. <laughs> Messiah. Hallelujah. I know a lot of times we're quick to get out of here and I don't give an altar call, but this altar is open tonight. If people just want to pray or just find a place to raise their hands, God, help me, Lord, to understand the gravity and the importance of these things. These things that you've instilled inside of me, God, with the living them out, the living them out abundantly, Father, in my life, in my practice, help me to ratify them, confirm them, validate them. God, make the calling and the election sure. Make the calling and the election sure. Hallelujah. Walk according to the attributes and the characteristics of the church that he's designed, that he's prescribed. Oh, yes. I love you, Lord. Brother Mason, hallelujah. Oh, to the Holy Ghost. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.